Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. Today, we've got a tough one. This is the first half of the Umbaran arc, season <gasps> four, episodes seven and eight. Oh, Sam. Because this is a four-parter, we broke it into a two and two. A double-double, if you will. So we start with <laughs> darkness on Umbara. The first step towards loyalty is trust. Mm. So the Republic is entering into the expansion region, and they're flying to the Ghost Nebula. This is also the first canonical appearance of Z-95 Headhunters. Oh! Which, if you're watching along, they look almost like X-Wings, except that their wings don't X. <laughs> anyway... Uh, so we're going to conquer and hold the capital of Umbara, which is where the deceased vampire senator D. Medici. Medici is from. Oh yeah. yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, well, he had a lot at stake, but. Um, <laughs> so we have the five hundred first under Commander Skywalker with Arc Trooper Fives, who is with them, and they are in this. They're doing a landing on this terrifying mist world. Visibility is about. 75 feet at best it is covered in a perpetual shadow and the landing is tough it's very vietnam as the like helicopters are coming with their lights on they're flying through the night their headlights are cutting through the mist mm -hmm. there's colorful explosions and blaster fire very cinematic so they land and they have a whole bunch of the little uh walker things the little walker motorcycles mm -hmm. that they're called atrts and they just charge hundreds of these, and then they begin the landing. So as the troopers are landing, they're moving forward, and there's we are introduced to a few clones this arc. Uh, Tup, Fives, Jesse, Hardcase, and Kix. Kix we've met before. We have met Kix before. We've also met Jesse before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesse and Kix were... Part of the deserter arc. Yes. Hardcase is new. Hardcase is a crazy one. So they give him the big Z6 rotary blaster. Hardcase is my absolute favorite. So they're complaining and they're like, ah, oh, that's, I can't see anything. That's where the shadow people top. And then they trip across a Chekhov's vine, which is like, oh, don't worry. It's probably nothing. And then it turns into a tentacle mind. It is a Venus flytrap that noms a clone trooper. It does before Fives decides to get caught by it and then toss it an activated grenade, which it eats. And it blows up from the inside. Very gory. Uh, so um, there's another clone we're introduced to named Dogma, who is important because he's like, this is tough, but I'm refusing to take orders. He's a new clone. And there's a mm -hmm. point when they're taking a breather up on the ridge that they're trying to get to and Rex and Anakin have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And you can really see the generational divide between the, the veterans like Rex and the newbies like Dogma. Dogma. Yeah, yeah. Well, Anakin says, he kind of reminds me of you, Rex. And Rex says, maybe. Rex back like, that in the was day. a million years yeah. ago. So the Umbarans ambush them because there's no visibility. So every which way, the Umbarans start by sending in this creepy shock scorpion, which starts shocking them. Mm -hmm. And then they attack. Anakin pulls them back on Rex's idea back off the ridgeline, just in time for Oddball to napalm the ridge with oh. Y-Wings. And then reinforcements show up in the form of a Beskalisk, which is or a Beskalisk, which is a Dexter's species from uh -huh. the Cantina, and from it is, Dex's diner, it aka Obi Wan's best friend ever. This is not Obi Wan's best friend, though. This is Jedi Master Pong Krell. 
Mm-hmm. who says, hey, Palpatine called you back to Coruscant immediately, so I'll take over here. Everything will be fine. So General Krell takes command, and the first thing he does is insult Rex. Mm-hmm. He makes everybody stand at attention, and he marches them off through the night and makes them go for 12 hours in a row. We do get to see him in combat when they're attacked by these glowy mist manta air creature things and he disassembles three of them like jumping on top of them and ripping their wings off yeah you know like he's fine but he's like you're sloppy you're lazy you're garbage Mm -hmm. get moving and he's like yelling at them and says time and rest are luxuries the republic cannot afford do you understand this we've been marching for 12 hours we need to rest we want five minutes please Please give us five minutes to wipe the sweat off of our faces so they get to this do the capital and they're supposed to like sneak in and do an infiltration probe and yada yada. And Pong Krell is like, nope, full frontal assault. I've changed the plans. Pray I don't alter it any further. So they do that. And as they're marching, they're like, it's too quiet. And then all of a sudden they're in a minefield. Oz and Ringo are down. The whole road has been booby trapped. Artillery comes in. And Rex pulls back and does a fighting retreat from the front. Which is exactly what Krell told him not to do. He was like, you will not stop. You will not turn back Mm -hmm. regardless of the resistance you meet. Implying that they were going to meet resistance because duh. Because they're going down the main road. And then he just rips Rex to shreds for compromising the mission. And Fives is like, hey, General, you need to chill the entire forearmed monstrosity of yourself out. (laughs) Pongkrell ignites his lightsaber and is like, do you have anything more to say? And Fives is like, no. I did. And then all of a sudden you were very persuasive and Uh I no longer have anything to say. But Rex is not afraid of people with lightsabers because he's been up against General Grievous a lot of times. (laughs) And so he confronts him and almost sort of gets Ponkrell's respect. Mm-hmm. And that's the the last line of this episode. Five says, I think he almost complimented you. And Rex <laughs> says, it's hard to tell. <laughs> so we end on this note of Ponkrell being just the absolute worst and then move into the second episode. In which Krell continues to be the absolute worst. So the next episode is called The General. Mm-hmm. The fortune cookie is the path of ignorance is guided by fear. Mm-hmm. So Obi-Wan's troops haven't been able to take the capital yet because the um, Barn forces are being resupplied by an airbase west of the city. Yep. So Krell is like, we need to go take that airbase. So once again, he decides on a full frontal assault because that worked so great last time. Well, I mean, Kenobi's not making it easy because he phones in and says, need I remind you that the entire invasion depends upon your battalion? No, we know the stakes are high, but Rex is cautioning Krell and saying, this is going to make us easy targets. Mm -hmm. And Krell is brooking no dissent. So the clones have to split up and funnel through this narrow gorge. Mm -hmm. Rex is forced into this really awkward position of needing to project this aura of confidence in what Krell is ordering them to do while not believing in it himself. Because all of the clones are like, this is insane, this is crazy, except for Hardcase, who's like, this sounds fun. 
And Dogma, who's like, it's the orders. Yeah. So they are reluctantly making their way through this gorge. And then, I kid you not, giant war caterpillars burst war out caterpillars. of the ground. I called them mecha worms. Mecha worms. I, like, I like war caterpillars, though. I, You know, war caterpillars has a real, it's very evocative. It is. I'm it's fond great. of it. So the clones cannot do anything because they are made of metal and they're ray shielded. They have to whip out the rocket launchers. And should them right in their heads right through the cockpit glass to make any sort of impact on them so they do manage to catch the war caterpillars in a trap and they get rid of them but because this is the clone wars the 501st just cannot catch a freaking break today Mm -hmm. because immediately after they are attacked by these enormous tanks that spit these globs of electro juice at them. I call them mech crabazoids. Yeah, okay, mech crabazoids. Um, Krell, in the midst of all of this, is just watching from a cliff way back at the entrance of the gorge. Mm-hmm. So he calls in, he's screaming at Rex. Clones are dying everywhere, and Rex is like, we can't do this, we need reinforcements. Mm-hmm. Krell has reinforcements who could help, but he refuses to send them in. Yeah. It is completely awful. They are fighting in this nightmare, dark battlefield with just explosions and blaster fire. Mm-hmm. They're getting picked off one by one. And the rocket launchers don't work. Nope. They keep shooting them and the mech crabazoids keep Shrugging it, it off. It just pounds clones into paste yeah, underneath it's, like its feet. Violently stepping on them and its big back cannon is blowing them up. Horrifying. Yeah. So Rex comes up with a different plan. Yes. He ignores Krell's orders. He sends Fives and Hardcase in to infiltrate the airbase with a sneak attack. Mm-hmm. They're going to grab some of the starfighters. They're going to swoop in with air support. And the rest of the troopers are basically just holding off the Krabazoid as best as they can. Yep. So Fives and Hardcase, you know, sneak in. They get to the landing field. They climb into two starfighters and they can't figure out how to use them. So these starfighters, like all of the Umbaran technology is made out of like force bubbles. And then the controls are like you shove your hands and feet at the glass, then like push at it to make them move. It is a very funny scene as yes, Hardcase and Fives learn They're it. whirling head over heels. They're scream laughing as they like blast these umbarans who come after them. <laughs> like, I found the guns. They're just like randomly shooting every direction. It is phenomenal. It is one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. ever in the Clone Wars. So they make it back to the clones and someone is like, oh, the big guns have arrived. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They shoot up the mech crapazoids and the day is won. Yeah, they just wreak absolute havoc on the umbarans, get wrecked. And up on the ridge, Krell goes, hmm, impressive. And we get a close-up on his pupil reflecting these writhing flames. Mm -hmm. Very dramatic. Dare I say foreshadowing? Yeah, a little bit. So, you know, the day is won. He sends in the rest of the forces. They take over the airbase. They put the Umbarans in handcuffs. And Krell comes strolling up and asks Rex to report. You know, they've done everything he asked. They've taken the airbase. They've done everything he ordered them to do. And they're like, a lot of men died to take this base. And Krell just 
shrugs and says, well, that's the price of such victory. Mm-hmm. And we get a close-up of Rex balling up his fist. Yeah, he is ready to smack him. Roll credits. Ooh. So this is a lot of exciting battles and a lot of back and forth. What did you note about it? Um, This arc is brutal. Yeah. This arc is hard to talk about because of how brutal it is. It really is. The idea of having the trope, I guess, of having an in like your high quality commander who loves and respects you replaced by one who doesn't is really dark. I'm not sure that I've ever opted in for this storyline before. I don't watch a lot of war movies. Mm -hmm. I don't tune into content like this very often. So I've never really experienced this dynamic before in media. Yeah, it is unfortunately common because good like tactical commanders being replaced by good strategic commanders or good logistical commanders like there's there's compromises to be made one point or the other. Yeah, it's tough because intellectually, we know that the clones were grown to die. And yeah. the clones know that they were they grown talk to about die. That. They talk about it all the time. But it's such a different experience to spend time with someone who actually treats them like cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. Like who doesn't even do lip service and pretend that they are worth something to him. There's a point in the middle of the battle during the general, which is the second episode, and the clone background chatter is like, you know, I used to think that this Krell guy was just an a-hole, but I think he actually hates clones. Yeah, yeah. That is what it appears to be to him, which is interesting. The death ratio, I suppose, the casualty rate amongst the 501st in this is quite high, but it's also got to be on par with, for example, when Ahsoka led her attack wing and she lost... 10 starfighters, you know, that's like a 95% loss rate. So I think the difference is that Ahsoka did that once. And there's actually a conversation between Rex and Fives where Rex is implying that General Krell has this really prestigious reputation of being a war hero. And then Fives counters him and says, have you seen his casualty numbers? Mm -hmm. He has killed more clones than anybody in this war. Yeah. Dang. So I rabbit holed into this one deeply and got into the uh, the late boomer, early Gen X dad mode of really leaning into American Civil War history. And I was up late last night reading Civil War history. You are such a dad. <laughs> well, it's such a it's such a funny thing because if you're if you're my age, there was a the, the Ken Burns documentary came out and. Just about everyone's dad was really, really into it. And I found it really incredibly dry to read. Mm-hmm. But the overall effect I got was that when Pong Krell took over, this turned into basically a civil war battle. Mm, okay, tell me more. So thematically, we start off and like many Clone Wars battle scenes, it's reminiscent of Vietnam. Hmm. You have these big air cavalry charges. You have light infantry moving in. And it's a lot of movement on foot, not as much like static warfare, but Mm -hmm. it's a lot of running quickly. You also have your commanders leading from the front and it's small unit tactics, less supported by tanks and stuff. Yeah, I was thinking as I was watching these episodes that this is some of the crispest 
tactical explanations we've gotten in the Clone Wars for a while. Yes. Like as a layperson, I had a really great understanding of where the troops were and how their movements were shaping up and the importance of doing these kind of guerrilla sneak attacks versus these full frontal assaults that Krell was demanding. Yeah. So when Krell took over, it became more like the American Civil War. And I was looking at a list of like the most... um disastrous commanders as far as spending their own oh. men and you have several you have field marshal haig in world war one who famously had the british soldiers march up out of their trenches at a walking pace through the german machine gun fire instead of what running yeah why would you do that he thought they'd run out of bullets. He thought that the wave of humanity coming towards them would scare them into submission. And ironically, well, I guess not ironically, darkly, uh, the Japanese had actually proved that that wasn't the case in the uh, Russia-Japanese War 10 years previous. Oh, no. In 1905, because that was the first war that had both trench warfare and machine guns. The Russians had a few machine guns. The Japanese tried a human wave attack, and they called it a coverlet of corpses. That is horrifying. But going back a little bit earlier to something that is more in tune with the warfare at hand a little bit, you have, I guess it's a little bit World War I and a little bit Civil War. Hmm. Because in World War I, you did have a few times where it's like, oh, there's a super weapon in the form of like one tank. Mm -hmm. And the tank, unless you have an anti-tank rifle is impenetrable. A Death Star, as it were. A little bit. <laughs> Although you can maneuver terrain to avoid it, which mm -hmm. is what Rex ended up mm -hmm. doing against the uh, all the creatures that he ended up killing, all the, the war caterpillars and war crabs. Yeah, the Umbarans seem to be implied to have this kind of technology that is above and beyond anything the clones have experienced before. I don't know if it's above and beyond. It's just different. Yeah. Like having weird ray-shielded war caterpillars is a heck of a move, but like, is it better than a tank? Eh. <laughs> you know. But when Pong Krell took over, it devolved into massed frontal assaults. Now, I was reading deeply in this of what the purpose of a frontal assault is. Now, you can do more modern infiltration tactics and like the special forces tactics of like, okay, you send in three small units, probe defenses all over. When one of them breaks through, you have like a you know, flanking maneuver. You do yeah, all that seems stuff. to be what the clones were wanting to do. They even yeah. complain about how Krell isn't having them probe the defenses at all. So they're going in blind. And then the reason you do a frontal assault is because if it works, it's faster. It's expensive, but it's faster. Mm. And in the second episode, particularly, Pong Krell is talking about how this whole, and at the end of the first episode, this whole invasion is depending on us being there on time. Yeah. So for all the lives of the 501st that Pong Krell is spending, he's saving lives in like the 212th where Kenobi is because Kenobi is presumably suffering similar casualties at a larger scale. So the only way this works, though, is if Krell is actually victorious. So the yeah. the danger of the full frontal assault, to exactly. me, the layperson, is that it is so expensive that the risk of failure is infinitely higher. So it's more expensive, the risk of failure is higher, and then the results of failure are far more disastrous. Because when you do a full frontal assault, 
there's no place for you to retreat from. Yeah, absolutely. So I was reading up on two particular Civil War battles as research for this, and they're actually the two most expensive Civil War battles in terms of casualties on both sides, mm. Gettysburg, particularly Gettys, uh, Pickett's Charge, and the Battle of Chickamauga. Hmm. So Gettysburg pretty famously had Pickett's charge on the third day of the battle where Lee ordered a frontal charge and his generals are like, this is a bad idea. Like Longstreet said in his memoirs and at the time, he's like, there is no amount of men, much less like these dudes have been fighting for three days who will dislodge the Union from that ridge because they're behind a low stone wall. They have like a ridge looking over. We have to cross this big open killing field. And then also the Union did some pretty clever moves as far as they were running low on cannon ammunition. So they slowly stopped firing their guns to make it look like their guns were being taken out. And then once the Confederates got close, they opened them all up again. What? That is brilliant. There was a fence that uh, I recall from this Convergence documentary, just like a low, you know, wooden fence. And it was just completely saturated with Confederate bodies. Oh, my God. And people talk, I mean, the whole lost cause thing, and this is by no historical metric true, but uh, that that was the high watermark of the Confederacy. That is as far as they got was Gettysburg. So this does sound very reminiscent of the the fight through the gorge in the second episode, because there's a point when there's more wounded clones than clones on their feet. And the clones who are still able to walk are trying to drag their brothers back into a more defensible position. And they're like, we have to get our troops out of here so that they Mm -hmm. can, you know, be shoved in a back to tank so that hopefully they survive. And Rex is like, we don't have time. The only way forward is to win, and then we can go back for our brothers. Which goes back in direct, like, just a complete contradiction of what is said in all of the previous clone-centric episodes. In Clone Cadets, the clones, the Domino Squad, fails because they left Droid Bait behind after he got injured. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. So that is an incredibly important thing to note. Um, what do they say about the Marines? Never leave a man behind. Yeah. So even in American war doctrine, we have a very popular saying that is known to pretty much everybody that you don't leave your brothers behind. And that is what the French call the, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but the esprit de corps, which is, (laughs) yeah, right? The esprit of corpse, which is, uh. (laughs) Good word. Thank you. I told you I was going to butcher it. (laughs) Which is the, uh, morale. Of the people and mm. and how likely they are willing to fight. The 501st has proven themselves to be utterly willing to fight because they're like, we have run straight up half marathons in full armor behind Anakin as he decides to just scream pell-mell headlong towards whatever's in front of him. I've seen him run across 10 football fields and stab a tank in its stupid face. Like he has done some crazy stuff. I would follow Anakin anywhere and Pankrell leads from the rear. There's such a difference between the way that they lead troops. It is absolutely insane. Anakin is always fighting with the troops. He's leading from the front. And then Krell hangs back and Mm -hmm. lets the clones take all the hits. And I wrote down, why would you waste your best weapon? A Jedi, we have seen this over and over and over again, is easily the difference between victory and defeat. A Jedi with a lightsaber could have made mincemeat out of the Krabazoid tanks, you yeah. know, that killed so many clones. Maybe. Maybe. 
If it's ray shielded, it would be problematic. You can't race, you can't shove a lightsaber through a ray shield. I would argue it's better to have your Jedi out there with a lightsaber doing damage than hanging back on a ridge, but, yelling at yelling at your troops. Yeah. We don't know the whole big picture. So the other battle is the Battle of Chickamauga. And I think this one is actually more intriguing. And for those who want to do a deep dive, that's an interesting one to read on as a reference for these episodes, because in that case, the basic strategic level was that the Union had pushed into Tennessee and Braxton Bragg, famously one of the worst generals of all time, had to uh, fight them back. Mm-hmm. And they this were, is not that far from where I grew up. Actually. I know. I know. I've seen the map. It's It's quite close. And they're pushing back and forth. And and a contemporary account said, no matter how it's going to look on a battle map after this, the shifting visibility, the like weird shape of the land, the hills and vales and Mm. and the means that people are just like stumbling into each other and then having to like retreat. The biggest union losses there were actually a group of soldiers who were marching along and they got a Confederate unit one-tenth their size just happened to be in position to rake them with fire and killed most of the Union troops there. Fascinating. If you've never been to Tennessee, there's there's a saying to determine geographic locations, which is it's either down the creek or up the holla. Mm-hmm. So down the creek means it's down, you know, downstream. And then yeah. up the holler, up uh, the holla yeah. is it's up the hill because that is what the Tennessee landscape looks like. And that's what this landscape looks like as well. They're always trying to get up a ridge or down a gorge or yeah, up a ridge and down a gorge. With this the- mysterious fog and this shadowed land and mm-hmm. everything is just dark and light. And in the, the Battle of Chickamauga, you also saw the one of the Union commanders, Thomas, was able to like after the line, the Union lines sort of collapsed around him because it was a fighting retreat by the Union to try to preserve their forces, he like held on to this hill and he was able to hold it indefinitely until ordered otherwise because it was just this really defensively favorable terrain. And that is what this terrain seems to be because even when Rex goes on the defensive time after time, he pulls back and he's able to be like, all right, we need to hold back for a second against these mech crabs or war caterpillars because- we can defend against them, but they can defend against us. Mm-hmm. So he had to be extremely tactically innovative and clever in order to lead them into a trap so that they could gain some sort of advantage. Yeah. And another bit of rehabilitation for Krell here is that he could have sent his reserves in to help out Rex, but also like he needs those reserves because he knows he needs to take the airfield and take he, he he's got to look three or four moves ahead. He can't just keep spending all of his men in one spot. And in a way, that speaks to Anakin as a commander, because Anakin goes in and is like, I will commit all my reserves 100% of the time. And we either like there he does he's often berated for not thinking strategically. Right? He's he's the tactical commander at hand. And yet we have called him a tactical genius many times, even on this show. Being a tactical genius doesn't make you a strategic genius. Hmm. I mean, this happened in World War II with Nazi General Rommel, who was famously a tactical genius, but he, you know, and he won a lot of fights, but he definitely lost even his local campaign because he didn't have the f- ability to back up his victories. Hmm. And that's why 
Braxton Bragg is famously a bad general because he didn't have the logistics to persecute the wars he needed, and the Confederacy never did. So there's a lot to be said for reading this through the lens of the wars that inspired it. And I think watching it devolve from Vietnam, a famously costly war, into the Civil War, which is horrifically more costly is an interesting viewpoint when General Krell takes over. I am intrigued that you are showing a different perspective on General Krell that I hadn't considered. Because my thoughts on General Krell run in a very different line. He's definitely meant to be painted as a cartoonish villain the entire time. Yeah, I actually posit that he is an impossibility. And if he's not an impossibility, I think he's an aberration. Tell me more. Okay. (laughs) I looked up the Jedi Code. Okay. And do you mind if I just recite pieces of the Jedi Code to you? You do it when you sleep already. (laughs) In between my dreams of me and Shakti just, you know, retiring to Bermuda together. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here is what the Jedi Code says. A Jedi never acts from hatred, anger, fear, or aggression but acts when calm and at peace with the Force. Jedi are the guardians of peace in the galaxy. Jedi use the powers to defend and to protect, never to attack others. Jedi respect life in any form. Jedi serve others rather than ruling over them for the good of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. Krell shows aggression and rage toward the clones. He does not respect their lives. He does not serve them. He rules over them and doesn't brook disagreement. So one of the interesting things, the first time we meet him, uh, Rex says, I'm honored to serve with you. And Krell says, Flattery will get you nowhere. Well, what he really, for before that, he says, an interesting concept for a clone to have honor. Oh, yeah. Which shows his relationship with the clones. And I think that's really interesting because we've talked a bit about how Palpatine, when he manufactured this war, had the clones and the Jedi working so closely together mm-hmm. because it's free lives for Palpatine to spend to blind the Jedi to what is going on. Which, you know, we haven't gotten to yet in the prequel series. But we know, you know, the 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 points of the main feature films are sort of general knowledge at yes. this point. Yes. So Palpatine is spending these clone lives And by not seeing them as individual lives, but by seeing them as an asset to buy and sell and spend like Krell does, he is actually isolating himself off from that blinding effect. Mm. But and, And he makes a note of that because he calls all the clones by their numbers. Yeah. And it's not like Rex has an easy clone number. It takes him a minute to be like CT5767. Okay, well, I have number dyslexia. So that was about as close as I could and get. And then fives is, you know. Five, 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 five. Five, 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 five. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, I'm, I'm 
bringing up Krell as someone who is showing this strategic wherewithal because all of the historically bad, quote unquote, commanders of forever, of modern warfare, the post-Napoleonic era, are all people who really just fought in a way that did not work at the time. But Pong Krell's record as exposited speaks for itself. He actually does get victories. And to that extent, the council and the Senate would definitely be like, yes, send him here, send him there. Okay, but I'm less interested in Pong Krell as a general, and I'm more interested in Pong Krell as a Jedi. So, yes. How did he make it through Jedi school? There is a rage and a cruelty to him. The propaganda reel at the start of the general even mm-hmm. calls him temperamental. Yeah. The um, There's another kind of well-known, it's not written in the Jedi code, but it's kind of a well-known stricture in Jedi training. If a Jedi ignites their lightsaber, they must be ready to take a life. Mm-hmm. When Krell holds his lightsaber to Fives's neck, That means that he was willing to kill Fives personally. Yeah. Or at least his training should have told him that he has to be ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just a a threat. We've just never seen a Jedi or a Force user, I would say, who treats life so lackadaisically. Well, Ahsoka and Anakin have both threatened people with their lightsabers before. Okay, so Ahsoka's a Padawan, and Mm -hmm. Anakin is a special case, as it were. So imagine you're on the Jedi Council with Shakti and Yoda and Mace, and you're like, okay, so we have our golden children, we've got our Plo Koons, we've got our Kenobis, and then we've got our troublesome... Our black sheep. Our black sheep, like (laughs) Anakin and Pong Krell. Hmm. And so what do we do with them? We give them what they need to win this war and hope that they learn something from it. But we can't, like, take the time right now to spend someone like Kenobi on a task that Anakin or Pankrell would be better suited for. Because spending lives to get victories is not something Kenobi would do. Kenobi would take the loss as opposed to spend the lives. Hmm. Whereas Anakin and Pankrell both would persecute the war to its full extent. But I do believe that Anakin's strategies were a better match for the situation. It's it's mm-hmm. strange to me because we have talked about death on this podcast before, and Jedi and Force users are so attuned to the Force, to the living Force, that we have talked about the plausibility of them being really deeply affected by death when it happens. Mm -hmm. And we never even see Krell blink an eyelid when clones are falling left and right. If anything, we see him grin as the airfield Mm. burns. Although that wasn't, I mean, that was after the Umbaran lives as opposed to the, the clone lives. Yeah, I... I'm just having a hard time understanding how Jedi training fails people like Anakin mm-hmm. and Krell. Yeah. It's it's failing to curb their bad habits and it's failing to curb their worst instincts. And that just seems like a grievous oversight, no matter what the situation is, if they're in a war or not. 
Something else from the war amateur historian perspective is the idea of expending special forces as regular infantry. Ooh. And so Anakin has trained the 501st to be his special forces, and that is the capacity in which they act. It seems like Pong Krell is used to leading regular infantry. Yeah, I can totally see that. And so when you give him these special forces to work with, he's going to spend them like regular infantry when in reality they are worse at a full frontal assault and better when you send literally two clones in to blow up an entire airbase. So do you remember when we a million years ago talked about clone 99 in uh, clone cadets? Yeah. And my argument was that clone 99 was able to see the individual skills, abilities, and talents of individual clones mm-hmm. and thus would make an amazing general. Yeah. And that is a great failure of Krell as a general, that he has these special forces. He has arc troopers. He has an incredible captain. Mm-hmm. And he treats them like they're fresh off of the assembly line, like they're fresh out of their growth tanks. And he doesn't listen to them at all. He doesn't, even when they have great ideas. Yeah, whereas in the early part, when they're getting shot off the ridge with Anakin there, right before Anakin is relieved, Rex is like, hey, we got to get out of here. They're opening up our lines. There's a spot down there that's defensible. And Anakin's like, good read. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. And that keeps them from being Agent orange Yeah, well, napalmed. Napalmed. Agent Orange wouldn't do much for the... Everyone's I was just helmets. trying to make a verb out of it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's an interesting interesting take. I do see several things. Another battle to investigate for those at home is the Point du Hoc during D Day. But there's uh, of uh, a special forces unit doing something cool and getting hung out to dry because High Command isn't willing to send them reinforcements, which is also a theme of these arcs. There's a little stylistic thing going on that I really want to mm-hmm. just bring up quickly, which is that Krell as a basilisk is taller than everyone around. He is a monster. So not only does he literally talk down to the clones, he figuratively talks down to the clones. So he <laughs> has to look down at the ground to talk to them. And it makes this really amazing visual thing where everything in his words and his demeanor is showing that he thinks he's above the clones. Yeah. And that's another part of the darkness of the Clone Wars is that the Jedi are the generals and the clones are everything else. Yeah, it's just amazing. I tried to rabbit hole on something that I couldn't find any information on. And I was trying to figure out what is the rule? What is the law on the treatment of your own soldiers? So I, you know, went and read the Geneva Convention, Mm -hmm. which is all about if you have prisoners of war, if you have stranded soldiers that are not from your home army. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't find anything about the rules and regulations of not using your own soldiers poorly. Because my question was the 501st is Anakin's unit. Yeah. It's his legion. Is he allowed to dictate how his soldiers are treated? Absolutely not. That would make no sense because otherwise they'd be under conflicting, contradictory orders. Mm. You got to have that chain of command of whoever's in charge. You listen to them because the chain of command makes sense when links are removed, that oh. someone someone fills in the gap and that the orders are relayed properly. That's a in my 
long reading of Civil War battles. That's an important part of that because the communication lines are so dodgy in the Civil War because it's all messengers. You know, it's all couriers on horseback that when messages are ill-received or not edited correctly, you Mm. run into or like uh, synthesized correctly by the officer corps, you run into real problems. Not following orders. I, I just, in my read of it, Pong Krell has a point. His execution was outside what seemed to be normal. Mm-hmm. I don't want to imply he's a good guy by any means. <laughs> okay. But I want to, I, the, the other point I want to make other than the devolution from Vietnam into the Civil War is the idea of a Jedi being a general is by its nature a contradiction. Yes, that is absolutely true. The parts of the Jedi Code that I did not read to you were very centered on the aspects of the Jedi being a force of preservation mm-hmm. and peace and not conflict. So, yeah. Hmm. I want to bring up the visuals of this oh, episode it's because good. this is another episode where I think. You know, we just talked about the R2 and C-3PO arc last yeah. week. This is another arc where I think the cinematography choices align with the message and strengthen it, where the form follows the function and the function follows the form. You think that like the fog of war being a key component is critical? Yeah. I mean, the whole episode takes place in darkness. Yeah. And yet, I I mean, I think this arc has the prettiest lighting that we've seen in the Clone Wars so far. It is very cool, and the lighting effects are amazing. These uh, flying manta rays that are going apart, picking apart wounded clones Everything is dark, and neon mm-hmm. is cast in these shades of red and purple, and the light will like flicker in and then disappear, and there's this fog swirling over everything. The laser bolts going back and forth oh, are amazing. Yeah, and you can even see in a few of them... Like when the blue outnumbers the green, that's when the good guys are winning. And when the Ooh. green outnumbers the blue, the bad guys are winning. Yeah. the uh, This is more like what I was hoping the rendering of the Mon Cala arc would be like. Because mm-hmm. I complained about the rendering. You did. Extensively. And it's because the focal points were obscured as well in the Mon Cala arc because they were underwater and there's like debris swirling around and everything's foggy and murky. But in this Umbara doubleheader, everything that you are wanting to focus on remains crystal clear, but it creates this claustrophobic effect where there's fog surrounding everything else. So you can see your faves on screen, but you can't see the Umbarans creeping up behind them. You're just as surprised as they are. Yeah, it led to some real anxiety. Watching these episodes gave me a little bit of anxiety all day. Oh, the fog, very claustrophobic. I just got an instant tension headache as soon as Krell landed mm. and did was just in a bad mood for the rest of the arc. Yeah, it's funny. I don't imagine that Anakin has low casualty numbers amongst his clones. Because no, no. we see a lot of clone deaths on screen. But they're not so high that they undermine his loyalty to his troops either. Or if they are... I mean, even if he's got the second worst casualty numbers compared to Krell, he still is leading from the front and still 
loving them in his own way. Yeah, the the dynamic change when mm-hmm. Anakin and Krell are doing the handoff, and it's right before Anakin gets on the gunship to leave, and he says, "You're in good hands with my phenomenal captain." Here's I'd like to introduce you to Captain Rex. Mm-hmm. He leaves, and the tone shifts mm-hmm. as soon as Krell berates Rex, calls him by his clone trooper number, dehumanizes him by implying that he's a clone. And, and he, honorless. And honorless and doesn't even have a, a concept of, of what's going on. It was really unsettling. Yeah. It gave me some whiplash. And the other clones see that as well. The interplay between all the clones here of, as you said, Rex trying to defend Krell's actions by being like, these are our orders and we have to do them. Fives standing straight up to him because Fives is like the second ranking clone there. Yeah. And then Hard Case, Kicks, Jesse, Dogma, all having their own stories going on and all like saying what they're going to say. Yeah. It made me wonder, what does it mean to be a good soldier? Mm. Is it just to follow orders? Is it to sometimes disobey orders to make sure that the task is accomplished? Because you could be a good soldier and end up a dead soldier. Oh, yeah. And the task remains incomplete. And that seems to be what Krell wants. So what's interesting is that's a matter of scale, right? What is a good, good soldier to a unit commander is they pay attention to orders, they stay alive, they get the job done, they keep you alive. What matters to like a division commander way up at a 10,000 foot view is, did they complete the objective? Were they part of the unit that completed the objective? Are they alive or dead? I don't really care because Mm. the objective is what matters. But when you look at the big picture, long-term view, it matters if you're absolutely decimating your troops when you don't have to. It does for sure. So that's when the ingenuity of, of a soldier can really tip the balance and be more long-term strategic than short-term tactical. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that this actually deserves a little further research, for me at least, into the different ideologies in tactical training between mm. forces in World War II. The, there was a joke during World War II that the Americans have this absolutely wonderful training manual for infantry, and none of them have ever read it. Because... <laughs> I'm laughing because I looked up some old war manuals. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I read this 1976 American war manual. Interesting. And it was hilarious. The graphic design, they were just figuring out how to make your text kind of weeble wobble <laughs> all over the page. So it would be like, and here's why you shouldn't rape, pillage, and burn villages. Oh. And the the header text is just like all caterpilling over. across the oh, page. Man. It was horrifying i'm sorry no no i mean (laughs) if you can laugh about it but (laughs) but the idea of having tactical initiative which is to say that at the firefight level that the local commander the captain is able to make decisions about the direction of the battle as opposed to wait for orders from behind is one of the big differences, doctrinal differences between like the Soviets, the Nazis, and the U.S. Mm. And so in certain times, they were like, no, we can't do anything. We have to wait for orders. And other times, it's like, no, we have to keep, like, whatever we're doing, we're doing. The Americans did it both ways because we had no rules on that kind of thing. But mm. it was, it's an interesting thing as a study of war, this episode. 
These are episodes about war. Yeah. We are in a TV series about war. It is called The Clone Wars. Star Wars The Clone Wars. Star Wars The war Clone twice Wars. In the name. And yet I keep forgetting that we're in the middle of a war. But these episodes were so unusually brutal because I think it's the first time we're seeing the clones kill living beings. I'm sure it's not, but it's been a while. It's it's not a common occurrence. I don't remember them killing living, breathing soldiers. And so, actually, now that you mention it, there's a lot of interesting things. So the Umbarans, for some reason, have to wear masks, like helmets, space Do helmets. Do you want to know why? Why is that? It is incredibly cool. They are a very technologically advanced people. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked up a data bank on why they have these face masks. And it is because they're being pumped with this gas, this potent gas mixture that supercharges them and gets them juiced up and ready for battle. Oh, combat drugs. They're like World War II soldiers on methamphetamines. Yeah, cool. Totally crazy. Um, you know what's also totally crazy is that they kind of look like the clones. Yeah, they're They're, they're shaved very heads. They're kind of medium height. They're thin. They've got the olive skin. Yeah. They look like clones. They do. However... As the clones are going along, they at one point find one of the war caterpillars that isn't dead yet. And, and they casually finish off the Umbaran soldier that staggers out of the cockpit. Yeah, just shoot him. And then when he is lying there on the ground, they shoot the wounded, which yeah, is a war crime. Which is horrifying. And because of my 1976 manual that I read, I know that that is a war crime. But also, immediately after they're walking and they see the local manta rays starting to mm-hmm. swarm on the corpse of a clone, and they chase the manta rays off. Yeah. Because the lives of their brothers and the deaths of their brothers have meaning, but we've just never really seen them casually pick off survivors because usually it's battle droids. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty dark, Sam. Yeah. So this is the first half of the Umbaran arc. The second half is a little tougher. So Really? Oh, definitely. Okay. Well... I think we should lighten it up for just a brief moment of levity. Okay. And I think it's time for Baywatch. Of all the bays. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. Sam, who is your bay? It is... Arc five 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 five. It's fives. Tell me why. Uh, fives gets a special cameo right at the get go when they're all assigning roles, and Anakin is like, "Here is fives. He is great. He's going to be joining us today." And Rex, and he's like, "Hey, good to be working with you again, Rex." He shows up. He's wearing his extremely cool arc trooper armor so him and rex are both the only ones who have like extreme cool guy armor do you want an extremely fun fact sure did you know that five's helmet has a rishi eel stenciled on it i did not know that is that what the the... that's what the cool dragon thing is on his helmet it's in honor of his first mission on the rishi moon that is fun yes that is cool i thought you would appreciate that so five's does He's always the one who's like, Rex, we have to like think smart. We should be fighting smarter, not harder. <laughs> and he is Rex's conscience, conscience, because Rex is the one who is 
delivering the orders and Rex is experiencing this character growth because he used to be like dogma and now he's something different, but he's always been a clone commander, always leading. And Fives is the one who's like, remember how you're a special forces commander and like tactical initiative matters. And then finally, Fives gets to be the one to take insane boy who's heavy 2.0 hard case <laughs> up over the shock wall and take over some barn fighters and just blow up the place and he enjoys himself so immense immensely he's just having the most fun oh it is so delightful so i fives is the one who is the moral compass of this episode mm. because he is like this war works so much better when we recognize that we are not just light infantry that we are special forces because we are always outnumbered a thousand to one and if we act just like light infantry and we're outnumbered a thousand to one we're just going to die i love that trajectory for fives Mm because the first time we meet him in chronological order is actually in season three and he's a baby and he's with domino squad Mm -hmm. and the moment when he and echo try to defect from domino squad and join bravo squad It's because they're like, we're better than these hacks. Yeah. And it is so fun to see his career progression actually back that up. He is something special. Mm -hmm. He's an ARC trooper. He's an ARC trooper. So I don't know where that puts him in the pecking order, but he is like the special dude seconded to this force. Yeah, it makes him cool enough to get, you know, grafted onto the 501st for this incredibly hostile mission. And when Rex is like, okay, I have a problem to solve and I need someone, something that's less than a tank, less than a Jedi, but more than a (laughs) platoon of troopers, what do I do? Fives, get over here. (laughs) Fives is great. I love Fives. And uh, Rex is conflicted in this arc. Okay, yeah. I'm very surprised. I was positive you were going to pick Rex for your bay. Rex has the conflict and he's heroic and he does all the right things, but Fives shows why he's an arc trooper. Ooh. How about you? Well, I thought you were going to pick Rex, so I didn't pick Rex. You can't just change your pick because of who I'm going to pick. But I have a better argument. Okay, what's that? Which is for Hard Case. Hard Case, (laughs) heavy 2.0. Okay, Hard Case has this absolutely phenomenal tiny moment of joy, (laughs) which is when Fives and Hard Case are infiltrating the airbase, and Fives is like, could you chill out for literally half a second? And Hard Case is like, I'm sorry, they told me my growth chamber had a leak or something and it made me hyperactive. <laughs> I just, I cried from yeah, laughing. It was, that, that was phenomenal. Very funny. It was amazing. The whole arc, he is just raring to go. And he reminds me of my original fave, Heavy, from Domino Squad. Because he is that. I'm sure that there's like one particular batch of tanks or something, and they take them all and they're like, you guys are the ones who get the rotary blasters? (laughs) The armor that is extra heavy on front and extra light on rear, because we know where you're going. You're going to charge straight ahead. You are our ADHD friends, (laughs) and you are just going to go in and get wrecked. Mm. Oh, it's so great. Um, So yeah. It's hard case because the scene of him 
like toppling head over heels in this Umbaran starfighter sh- gunship that he doesn't know how to use. Just laughing maniacally. Scream laughing. <laughs> just wrecking Umbaran soldiers everywhere was the most completely delightful thing I've seen in so long. It is, that whole scene is very funny particularly because they they steal the starfighters uh-huh. and they like have to learn how to fly them while they're getting shot at. Literally then, on the fly. And then they shoot up the rest of the fighters. So there's no other air support. They eventually make their way to blow up the mecha crabs. And they're still just like cartwheeling in the air. <laughs> and then the... You know, the scene ends and they're just flying. And these are very beautiful looking ships. They're oh, very aerodynamic looking. And they're just like rolling. <laughs> Through the air, just every which way, no control whatsoever. And that moment when the clones are like, oh, yeah, the big guns are here. And then uh, when they land, Hardcase is like, oh, yeah, that was that was awesome. We totally wrecked him up. And he's like, yeah, you looked a little green when you got <laughs> that fighter. <laughs> Incredible. Hardcase being able to have a fun time in the middle of a war is just fun. Fantastic. Well, that's, you know, it's it's take it or leave it as far as fun in the middle of a war. He's got real uh, animal mother vibes. It's just like, take the gun, go crazy, go to war. Have like fun. It. Yep. Wreck stuff up. Wreck stuff go up. Go to bed, do it again. <laughs> so yeah, it's hard case. Okay, that was that was tough. And um, everything that I've heard about the next two episodes makes me deeply afraid for my mascara. Yeah, yeah. As you can. <laughs> we so we we often watch these uh, sort of together, like in separate rooms. And Anna gets out of the shower, and she's like, "I probably shouldn't have put on mascara before watching <laughs> yeah. this episode." I'm like, "I think you'll be fine in the first half." <laughs> So next week, we are finishing the Umbaran arc. We're mm-hmm. watching the Clone Wars season four, nine and 10. Yep. And uh, yeah, that'll be fun. But we're making our way through season four. We've got a couple of these double doubles and it's it's serious now. No more Jar Jar Witch Doctor. No more C-3PO being the king of the tiny people. I know. Remember last week when we were just laughing at the R2 and 3PO antics? <laughs> that is such a distant bygone dream. R2 <laughs> is still trying to like get five minutes to himself to go to the droid spa to get... Uh, <laughs> to get the, the uh, big Heizu guts scrubbed <laughs> off of his shirt. <laughs> it's like this vent smells like king. <laughs> Oh, a distant dream of levity bygone. So as always, please follow us and share us on social media at all the social medias for growing up Skywalker. And if you want more Skywalker, feel free to become one of our patrons. You can just look for growing up Skywalker on patreon.com. And thank you so much for all of your support. We love you all. Yes. And uh, make sure to send this to, I was thinking as we were talking Send it to your war aficionado, like, mm, like your, your dad. dad who reads World War II novels, like uh, like there's a pop quiz on World War II next week that he needs to be ready for. <laughs> Every time I hang out with your dad, I'm like, hey, I read this cool book. He's like, is it about World War II? I'm like, no. He's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, sucks to suck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, send it send it to your World War II trivia dad friend. Or Civil War trivia. That too. Or World War One. You know. Or Vietnam. Or Iraq. Crimea. Send it send it to one of those. <laughs> and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.